What's up, Slick Talkers? I want to promote a quick little thing that we're doing at Good Morning Hospitality called Good Morning Retreats. This is our first ever retreat, and we are hosting a hospitality training retreat at the Horst Schultz Hospitality Training School in Auburn, Alabama. Now, this is going to be July 8th through the 10th, and it's for operators only. So if you're a property manager and you want to actually dive into the inner workings of providing hospitality and not just the operations of your business, then this is what you need to do and sign up for. So go to goodmorningretreats.com in order to get into an intimate setting with other operators just like you. If you go to the website, you'll see the published agenda and other things around the whole retreat. We're excited to host you. And if you're going to the retreat already and you've already confirmed your spot, we can't wait to show you what we have up our sleeves for this event. Now, let's move on to the episode. Thanks for tuning in. And like always, I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast. If they walk into your restaurant and the experience just sucks because you simply don't have enough people to actually give great hospitality and give great service, yeah. those people who are out there in the fucking depths of the, of, the, of, the, of the slow season are never coming back to your restaurant. Those people happen to be your best customers, your best guests. Why? Because when everybody else is at home trying to buckle down for the new year, they're out eating in your place. Welcome to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality, hotels, and business. You can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform. What's up, everybody? Will Slickers here, the host of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast. Hope you guys had a great New Year, a great Christmas, a great holiday season. Um, I know I did, and just super thankful for all the exciting things that are happening in my life, and as well as with business on the podcast. Um, for a quick um, wrap up on it, I guess I would just explain to all you guys listening today um, is that I quit my job as a front office manager at a hotel to pursue. Uh, my business and of course podcasting full-time and so if you guys have any questions feel free to let me know uh, but exciting stuff working and coming out in the slick talk space um, so stay tuned for a lot of really just cool announcements and excitement uh, coming through the show uh, but today's episode michael Chernow, a restaurant tour of the meatball shop seymour's restaurant uh, all based out in new york great guy um, I actually heard him on Gary V. Um, Gary V is this big entrepreneur with a podcast. I uh, heard about Michael through here, uh, linked up with him on social media, and pretty much just loved his story so much that I asked him to be on the show, and he agreed. So we talk about a lot of different things, and I really wanted to dive a little bit on a different aspect of just uh, entrepreneurship and then also you know hospitality in a different mindset and just kind of um, today's world of what that really really looks like and you know expectations that were set from the beginning to where they are today and just all sorts of stuff that we talked about um, I really just had a great time with them so if you want to find out more obviously um, look in the description in the podcast and you'll find the link to all his uh, socials and restaurants and all the good stuff he's also launching a podcast as well so stay tuned for that there'll be some exciting stuff I hope you guys enjoy the episode um, I know I had some fun it's uh, been a great time, like I said. So tune in every week. Uh, stay tuned for the end of the episode. I got a cool uh, announcement for everybody. Um, kind of a little series coming out. So 
again, stay tuned, listen through. Um, Michael's a great guy, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. guy i uh, i grew up in manhattan in new york uh grew up very quickly uh learned early on that i was uh a people person um i i knew from as early as i can remember that being able to uh read and adapt and sort of chameleon myself into environments was something i was very very good at um i got my first job uh, i was very eager as an early, as you know, I was, I was, I was always an eager um, individual uh, in terms of selling for whatever reason. You know, when I was probably five, six years old, I, uh, I would sell, you know, it's kind of crazy, but I would sell my toys uh, that I didn't want anymore. I would lay out a, a like a sheet in front of my apartment building uh, in Manhattan um, on the corner and, uh, and I would sell toys on the street. Um, I was walking dogs, you know, at 10 years old. Um, I was also working in the church rectory. Uh, that someone got me a crazy job in the church rectory when I was like 12 years old. And then when I was 13 years old, I got my first job in a restaurant. Um, and that's when I knew that I had sort of landed. Um, and I had arrived, I was able to, you know, I was, I was, I was, I started out delivering food. Uh, and then I, I, uh, very quickly was, was put on the floor as a busboy. Um, and I was able to be who I really, uh, who I really wanted to be there in that restaurant. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I fell in love with the, the environment. I fell in love with people. Um, and ultimately I, um, you know, I, I, I knew that this is where I was going to be at that early age. So I, I worked in restaurant after restaurant, uh, you know, throughout high school and, I worked in a few nightclubs and um, I was always the youngest, um, but, but for whatever reason, always hung with the sort of most prominent um, because I figured out how to, you know, I hate to use the word manipulate, but at a, at, at a young age, you have to use some sort of manipulation. Um, it gives you leverage to get to where you are. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, you know, um, however, throughout the, those years, you know, because I was, I was, I was, I was in New York and, uh, you know, in the city, I was exposed to a lot of amazing things, as well as some really sort of, you know, dangerous things. Yeah. Um, and I played in in a, in a number of different sandboxes. Um, but you know, I I was working in nightlife at a young age, so I definitely partook in some of the bad news mm-hmm. that nightlife has to offer. Um, and uh, but but always always stayed true to myself, even though I was struggling in a couple of different arenas. Mm-hmm. Anyway, when I, when I was 23, I had landed, you know, my favorite job about two years earlier when I was 20, um, a job that I had for almost eight years. Uh, and then when I was 23, my boss took me aside and said, Hey man, Mikey, I love you. You're one of the best guys that's ever worked for me. Um, I am watching you destroy your life with drinking and partying and I can't, can't watch it. So either you got to get your shit together um, or you got to get out of here because I'm not yeah. going to stand by and watch this. And he motivated me to actually get my life together, even though, you know, looking from the outside, you wouldn't necessarily think that I was a mess. Internally, I was really mm-hmm. struggling and he saw it. And so 
because of Frank, uh, you know, I, I really started to pull my life together and, um, and get serious. And I stopped drinking. I stopped all the partying. And uh, at 23 years old, I sort of laid out a plan. Um, and that plan was get healthy. So I, I, I dove headfirst into health and wellness and fitness. Um, go to culinary school. Get out of culinary school. Write a business plan. Open up a restaurant with my best friend from childhood. And, and that plan was the plan that I laid out right then and there. And that was the plan that I executed upon. And fast forward till, uh, you know, I was 27. I graduated culinary school. Um, I had gotten a degree in restaurant management as well. Um, and I started to draw up a business plan. And I, you know, begged my best friend from childhood, who was an amazing chef, to, to move back to New York because he had moved to Los Angeles to come and help me open up this restaurant. And it took me about a year of convincing him, but he finally came back and we started to put the pieces together for the meatball shop at 28 years old in February 10th of 2010. So we're coming up on 10 years uh, wow. this February. Uh, we opened up the meatball shop in the Lower East Side of New York City. It opened to uh, great success lines around the block for years. We opened up five more of those restaurants. Um, I learned throughout that process that I really, really, really enjoy the, uh, the creative components, the building component, the team building component, the culture component of, of, uh, of business, and the sort of day-to-day, -day, um, you know, financial logistics sort of operations of the business was not really what I, what I hung my hat on. I really hung my hat on the creative elements of the, of yeah. the, of, of the business. I and so I, I stepped down from uh, co-CEO at Meatball Shop to launch a new business called Seymour's. I opened that in, um, in June of 2015. Uh, again, luckily that restaurant opened to great success. Um, I took on a partner and about a year in and opened up another five of those. And uh, that was, uh, you know, Seymour's uh, will, will be celebrating five years this, uh, this June in 2020. Um, I had taken a step down from day to day at Seymour's because similarly to Meatball Shop, I've, you know, we, we established the brand, we established the culture, we knew who we are, how we talk, how we walk, how we celebrate, how we mourn, all those things that define culture, um, we were established. And so I said to my partner, Jay, hey, I'm going to take a step back, I'm going to let you run the show, and I'm going to go create again. And that's where we're standing right now. Uh, I'm, a, you know, a few months away from, uh, from launching a, a new business called Creatures of Habit which will be a fast casual restaurant that will also have a line of consumer packaged goods that will launch with uh, retail direct to consumer. Wow. So it's a, it's a lot. It's a big, it's a big journey. I think, you know, you made it past that 10 year mark with, with the meatball shop, which I've never heard until after I got to, you know, do a little research on who you were. Uh, you know, I've never seen a meatball shop restaurant ever in my life. I've been a, you know, total Pacific Northwest, uh american but i love meatballs but i just never seen like a meatball shop so I thought it was kind of a cool concept and after looking on online and everything it really like you said is proven to be legit so i think that's pretty such a cool you know thing to say that you know like i i think i relate to you a little bit more on the business side um you know being the creative a lot of ways um and then not so much the day-to-day -day operations even though it can be fun um, I was just going to ask though, um, what really, so when you sat down to build this business with, um, your childhood friend and just kind of take off, like you stuck to the plan from 23, 
till 28, you know, you, you stuck to it. What was the idea and like the leading concept, I guess, to the meatball shop? What was like out of all the restaurants you could have opened, especially in New York, why meatballs? Uh, you know, it's interesting that that wasn't always the idea. You know, when Daniel, Daniel Holzman, who's my partner in the meatball shop, and I'm still partner at the meatball shop, um, just not day-to-day operating, yeah. operating yeah. partner. Um, but when Dan came here, he and I could not find or could not see eye to eye on a concept that we both wanted to do. Um, and it took us a while of really sort of banging our heads against the wall, trying to figure out exactly what it, what it is, what, what it was was we were going to do and then one day you know we were we were walking uh he had you know i was still working i worked at frank restaurant <laughs> literally i worked at frank restaurant uh till a week before we opened the meatball shop wow. um and uh and he would come to the restaurant late night you know most nights and mm-hmm. that's where where a lot of our brainstorming would happen yeah um but anyway there was one night i had gotten out of work it was probably about midnight or one o'clock in the morning on a friday or saturday the East Village was, you know, just mobbed with people. And, uh, and, and, you know, I remember very clearly walking north on 2nd Avenue, probably around 7th or 8th Street. And uh, I had looked over to, there's a, there was a restaurant there called Palm Frites. It was a very small little, little sort of counter. It was, it was tiny. It was probably 200 square feet. Um, but it was packed. It was always a line down down the block, and it was essentially a, a, a French fry restaurant. That's all they served there. They served they served Belgian Belgian fries in a cone with different sauces, wow. and uh, it was like a late night spot. People would get drunk and party, and then they'd go and line up there for French fries to sop it up. And so when I saw that, you know, I said, you know, let let's let's just really focus on on approachable, inexpensive late night bites that is not going to cost us an enormous amount of money to produce. And when I, when we, you know, he, 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 he and I both like that. Um, and the, the dish that really inspired the meatball shop was a dish at Frank restaurant, which is the restaurant that I worked at for a very long time. It's called yeah. the rigatoni ragu. It was probably the most popular dish in the East village, to be honest with you, definitely the most popular dish at the restaurant. Um, but, but everybody loved Frank restaurant and they would come for the rigatoni ragu. It was a simple dish of rigatoni pasta, meatballs, and sausage. There was so many other things on the menu. Um, and however, you know, for whatever reason, this dish was the go-to dish. And, and I sort of, you know, eluded, it alluded to the fact for me that simplicity is what people actually want. They yeah. want simple, they want approachable. Um, and, and, uh, and that's what the rigatoni al ragu was. And what I used to do late night for my family meal was I would order the rigatoni ragu sans the rigatoni. So I would have a bowl of tomato sauce with meatballs and sausage, a side of broccoli and a side of spinach. And that was my meal most nights. Yeah. Um, I wanted the protein and the delicious sauce and the veggies. And so that is actually what inspired the meatball shop. And when we were walking down the street that day, I said to him, I said, you know, dude, why don't we do meatballs? Why don't, why don't we just keep it real simple and do bowls of meatballs with sauce and a stick of bread for five bucks out the window and call it a day. And let's start there. And that was it. That was, that was how the meatball shop was born. Wow. Pretty like it. I, I don't know. I get really excited with like stories like that because I think a lot of entrepreneurs or business owners and I, I'm in a weird phase right now because a lot of my listeners know uh, I just quit my day job to do this full time and my business. Um, And so 
I hate using the word entrepreneur, but really that's what it is. Um, but I think when it comes to, you know, business and entrepreneurial <coughs> spirit, um, I think people underestimate the simplicity of, of ideas on how really effective it could be just the simpler, the better. Um, just because I've experienced like people who either started a business or when I had a business idea, right? You're sharing it with everyone. You're like, Oh, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And then you're thinking of all the big picture ideas and the stuff that goes into it. And people just get so lost and confused. But then when you come at it like a simple, and this isn't maybe every business or every time, but, um, you know, when you come at a simpler uh, perspective, it becomes way more easier to explain and then people can follow along and then kind of really understand and feel like they're a part of it. So I think it's kind of cool. And um, anyways, kind of back onto your origin. Um, so I think we have kind of similar backgrounds in a way, maybe not obviously like not New York. So definitely not as fast paced as probably uh, your life was growing up. You know, I think I can imagine just the, the the intensity of the, not the chaos, but I guess chaos of New York of just the go, 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 nonstop moving. Um, you know, but I was kind of similar, like always selling stuff. Like I would draw these crappy, shitty, like alien drawings or whatever, like superheroes or whatever you want to call it. And I would actually go door to door to my neighbors and start selling them, even though they knew they were crap. And they like, I don't even know why they thought, you know, they would buy one from me, but they did. Um, and, uh, so I, I really want to kind of, I guess my point is really for the hospitality side of things. Um, you know, obviously it takes a certain type of person, um, a certain type of mindset and all that good stuff. But um, for you starting out so young in the industry, starting out so, you know, like you said, 12, 10, all these, you know, certain ages uh, for you, when did you realize, I guess, hospitality? you know, you know, that, that was it. obviously restaurant was a big key factor, but I see a hospitality in so many different ways. So I guess what does hospitality really mean to you and kind of what, what made you know that this was the business, um, really like just taking care of people, like what made you just in your heart know that people and restaurants and all this other good stuff was the route for you. I live to make people happy. That's my, that is my underlying character trait i live for the happiness in other people i it is like it is what drives me it, it is what motivates me every day my goal is to um to bring sort of positivity and optimism and and excitement um into the workplace um because i know not only does that act is that is that not act that is actually the key to success in all businesses is people feeling stoked, supported, confident, and excited to be there. It's not money is that actually motivates people. That is, that is a motivator, but it's not actually the, the, the main motivation for people. People have to feel good about where they are. And, if, and that's what I do. I bring that energy and that, and that, sort, of, that, that sort of feeling to the space um, and I learned that early on. I love making people happy. Um, and so you have and, a big family. What was that? You have a big family. Uh, I, I don't, I don't really have a big family. And interestingly enough, you know, my family life was pretty traumatic. Um, yeah. it was, it was not, 
it was not awesome, you know, um, my childhood, it, you know, and, and that's probably, you know, I think in some cases, it's probably like a 50-50 split. In some cases, having a traumatic, you know, upbringing childhood where it's not awesome um, spawns, you know, the, 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 the chain to continue mm-hmm. in negativity and, and disaster, uh, disaster situations. However, in my case, I actually um, was able to escape sort of the, 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 the negativity in my household and uh, early enough where I, I completely adversed the whole entire process and, uh, and, and I made, I, I turned that negative situation into super positive. And so I live my life, um, you know, in this like overwhelmingly optimistic space. And obviously some days I wake up feeling like shit, I'm a human being, but you know, my, uh, you know, 90% of the time, I am, I am positive and optimistic and just stoked. And the people that work with me know that. And sometimes it's to a fault because we can be sitting in, you know, in the ship that's sinking. And I'm like, I literally walk into work every day. Like, let's just go out there and get it. Let's just do it. And let's play offense. And let's, you know, let's not, you know, let's not walk into the room on our heels. Mm -hmm. Um, And so bringing that, you know, that is the definition of hospitality for me, truly just making other people feel special, right? Like that is it, right? It doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if you're in a restaurant, if, in your, if you're in your home, if you're walking through the street. Hospitality to me is the passion of making other people feel special. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and being able to make other pe- people feel special uh, for me is also selfish because it ultimately motivates me and makes me a better person. And so, you know, I know that I've got to take care of myself first. And that also could sound selfish to a lot of people. Like I do, I have a wife, I have children, I have businesses, but I'm going to be completely straightforward and honest with you. I am the most important person in my life and I take care of myself before I take care of anybody else. And what does that mean? That means I wake up at five o'clock in the morning and I'm in the gym at 515. And then once I get that, that, that piece out of the, out of the way, like, my time, my, my, the importance of me, Michael Chernow, then and only then am I able to bring all the other shit that I bring to the table to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's a reason why when you're, when you're on an airplane, they say, you know, if in the, in the event of emergency and the oxygen drops down, don't put the oxygen mask on your child first, put yeah. the oxygen mask on yourself first, then put it on your child. And, and that runs true in my life, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that, that is, that is, I mean, that's a, that's a long winded answer to your question, but ultimately hospitality is um, in my DNA. It is what drives me. It is what keeps me going. I love making people happy. And uh, as a byproduct of other people's being happy, it also makes me happy. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I kind of like what you said there with, when it comes to the family thing, um, kind of going back to the, for me, I got, you know, I got six brothers and sisters, well, one brother, five sisters. Um, so I like, I relate to liking, you know, taking care of people, wanting to, you know, make people feel special, that other stuff. Um, big family. And for me, I think, you know, and I was going to kind of lead into this with you a little bit, but um, I think when it comes to the family life and everything like that, I, for for you it sounds like that you know having the traumatic experience or just not the you know overall 
healthy environment for a kid and for anybody in a, in a family. Um, it kind of gave you the, the example of what not to do or what you did not want in your life. Uh, especially, you know, you said you're a husband, you're a father. So, um, with that, do you, I don't know. I, I've been, uh, for the last, I want to say 10 years, been a big Tony Robbins fan and, uh, kind of what turned me into, you know, to Gary V and to all these other, you know, entrepreneurs that are leaders and, you know, not motivational speakers, but kind of, uh, just no bullshit in a way. Um, with, with that, you know, setting the example, you know, see when you can blame people for the good in your life, right. You can say, I, I, or, you know, even the bad, uh, say, I blame you for not being a good father. I blame you for not being this, but if you're going to blame them for the bad, you should also blame them for the good. I blame you. You weren't a good father. So by that being the example in my life, I now have the example of what a good father is to me. I blame you for the bad, but I also blame you for the good because I learned from your bad. Um, do you believe in the same kind of concept or is it more of a just, you know what, I learned a lesson and that's it kind of a kind of mindset? Yeah, I don't blame anybody for anything ever, period. I take full accountability and responsibility for everything that's happened, good or bad in my life. I feel like once you start pointing a finger, you've mm -hmm. lost. It's a fucking, it's a cop out. Um, and so I don't blame anybody for anything. I definitely give recognition to the people that have helped me out for sure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, 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 and though my dad was very difficult and we had a really rough relationship, um, I don't blame him for anything I've done or haven't done. Um, I do thank him for the things that he did give me, uh, you know, because he did give me a few things that I have now given to my son. And those things that he gave me have absolutely made me the man I am today. Yeah. Uh, even though he was fucking very difficult to deal with, um, yeah. uh, you know, but he, 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 he uh, sort of branded the idea of being a gentleman in, in my, in my, uh, in my head. And, yeah. you know, I got to say that like, it's it's really helped shape the man I am today. So yeah. I'm grateful for I'm grateful for him. Yeah. Uh, I guess I shouldn't have said the word blame. I I mean, you know, kind of what you just said. I think you know by the good that they do, you kind of see that. But then also by the bad that anybody in our life does, um, you know, not blaming like I said, but more of a I saw yeah, it's an experience, right? Like yeah. learning every, every experience we go through, whether it, you feel great or you feel like shit at the end of it, it's yeah. an, it's incredible because you can look at, um, you can look at a loss as a loss yeah. or you can lo look at a loss as a lesson. And you know, we, if we're not learning, we're not growing. And if we're not growing, we're actually dying. Yeah. And so every day my goal is to learn whether that's through, through wins, through losses. Um, I am, I am always looking to learn. I love to surround myself with people that are, that, that can teach me, um, you know, and, uh, and so, I, you know, every experience is, is a lesson, whether good or bad. And, um, you know, one thing that I've said, and, and I've said a lot in my social, um, and I say to my teams and I say to my family, like, you know, you got to learn to love the heart and the hurt because it is there and it will always be there. It yeah. is not going anywhere. It is never a, a bed of roses. 
or tiptoeing in the tulips. Like the hard and the hurt are going to be there, whether you're getting after it or you're a lazy bum. It's there. It's there, right? And it's and it's loud. It's real loud. And you know, speaking of the hospitality business, I mean, it's the most competitive. I'm in the most competitive market in the world for hospitality, New York City. There are 24,000 plus restaurants in this town and a thousand restaurants open and close every six months. And the rents are the most expensive on the globe. And everywhere you look, there's a new one opening up and a new one closing. And so the heart and the hurt is there. It's prevalent. It is. And if you make it your priority, um, it'll, it'll sink. It'll sink your ship. However, if you learn to love it, like actually love it, yeah, unstoppable will be become will, will become part of your DNA. Yeah, hundred percent agreed. Well, um, with so I kind of want to go back to the the restaurant part um, when you guys started the the concept of the meatball shop and leading into you know Seymour's and all that good stuff. Um, so kind of like you just said earlier on, you said you know you had the idea. I'm gonna once Frank sat you down and said, hey, Michael your life, you know, is, I see that you're struggling and unfortunately I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let you do this. Um, you know, and then you put that plan together. You say, I'm going to go to culinary school. I'm going to graduate culinary school. I'm going to grab my lifelong friend and I'm going to open up a restaurant. So you stuck to that. I've, I know a lot of, um, either restaurateurs or hoteliers or anybody in the industry probably have had the same, you know, we've had, we've all had plans in our lives and, um, for you, I guess I want to get a take on. You had a you had an idea. You had a a plan. You had to execute on the plan. Um, for the expectation, how did that turn out? Like, what was in your mind when you first started out? Like, okay, did the meat like is the meatball shop that was formed and everything from where it is today? Was it, I guess, meeting your expectations? Like, what when you first went into this journey? You're like, all right, I'm going to open up a restaurant. Was this? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I think, again, like I got to go back to my optimistic mindset and, and perspective. Like I, you know, for whatever reason, as an entrepreneur, like I think I am a, a, a purebred entrepreneur. I am, I am fearless when it comes to um, creating businesses. It does not scare me. I don't feel... Um, like I just don't feel fear of, of, uh, of, 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 of failure. Um, and you know, I, 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 I can't explain why, right. Yeah. I just, I just can't explain why. And that doesn't mean that I don't fail. Yeah. Uh, Cause I do, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but I, I, I don't walk into it with this fear of it. So I always thought the meatball shop was just going to kill it. I knew exactly where I wanted it to be. I knew exactly how I wanted it to go. And, uh, you know, my partner, Dan, even though, you know, at some time, at some, you know, some phases throughout the process, begrudgingly was following my lead, like he did follow my lead. And, uh, you know, we made a couple of mistakes early on, we, we originally launched it to be a counter service model, which would have probably worked. However, we had no idea how to build a counter service restaurant. So yeah. when we opened the restaurant, um, and there was a line of 200 people standing outside, and uh, we only had 30 seats in, in the whole, in, in, the, in the place and people were coming and making and placing their orders. And the goal, the idea was you place your order at the counter, you get it, you get a number, you go grab a seat and we'll bring you your food. Well, we didn't anticipate 200 people coming 
you know, the, the second we opened up the door and that line of 200 people not ending ever. Um, and so we just had simply not enough seats in the restaurant. So people were standing there with trays of food and nowhere to sit down. And eat. Wow. So three days into that, I made a call where I took the whole entire counter service staff and I said, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the world of full service restaurants um, and turned everybody <laughs> into servers. And, and that's when, that's when everything started to fall into place. Um, the, you know, people, people knew that we were, that we were, you know, sort of <laughs> learning as we were going. Um, and, uh, and they gave us, they, they had patience and, and New York really, really supported the meatball shop. And so it, was it, was it everything I had anticipated? It was 10 times, a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times what I had anticipated. I mean, within that first 18 months, Daniel and I were on Jay Leno, Jim Fallon, Chelsea Handler. Wow. You know, we were, we were on TV cooking meatballs on Good Morning America, the Today Show. I mean, there was not a single publication, New York Times, you know, like that didn't cover the meatball shop. It was insane. And so we had zero, we had no idea that that was going to happen. And we were, we were both completely exhilarated with gratitude and excitement. And um, it was intense. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah, I just, you know, I've never, like I said, I've never really focused on the entrepreneurial side of things on the podcast, but I think it's really interesting to give a perspective on a lot of things like this because so many people ask and um, you know, people following my journey, other business owners I've seen in, you know, in the past or, you know, currently that I work with like with mentors or anything like that. And it really comes in cause you know, we sit down with people and we explain like, yeah, I'm this, this and this, and I do this, this and this for my company or blah, blah, blah. You know, this is all the stuff that goes on. You kind of explain it. Right. And then people just think, I think kind of get the mindset or maybe the thought or just see just, I guess, I don't know what to really say about it, but the, they get the, set in their mind that I guess just been that way. Like that's how you intended it to be. Right. And, uh, so I, I think it's really interesting to kind of break that down because it's never how you intended to be. I intended this podcast to be something for young hoteliers to just be able to learn a little bit about like revenue and all the like certain acronyms and stuff that I was never taught, but you know, that's actually not how it turned out to be. So I think it's really interesting to kind of see the, the flourishing of, you know, the 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 idea to you know where it is today and kind of the okay this is how we expect it to go it's just gonna be a restaurant blah 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 and then here you are Jimmy Fallon all these other big you know things happening after the the journey and so I I don't want to always tie to family but I'm kind of curious because you know I'm single 24 year old dude and uh, so were you married at all during the beginning of this time or did you end up getting married you know further on in the road or kind of what's the um, I guess, family life aspect along the journey, I guess, in a lot of ways. Uh, I was married. Um, yeah, I was married uh, when I opened up the meatball shop. I've been married for, uh, I got married young. Uh -huh. I got married when I was 26. And uh, I opened up the meatball shop at 28. So I was married two years um, into, uh, into, into, uh, you know, my process. And, uh, it was intense. My wife definitely didn't see me for a good 18 months. Um, and it was difficult and she supported it. And even though it was painful for her to see me work, you know, 18 months straight without taking a day off actually is what happened. Um, 
she understood what I was doing. And, uh, and, and, you know, luckily for her, she's, she's my rock. She's my, she's my biggest support system. Um, I wouldn't be where I am today without her. Awesome. Well, um, I guess to kind of wrap up the, the show a little bit, um, for all the listeners, you know, we got, a, I think it's about an average, it goes up a little bit more each time, but about an average of 50,000 people that listen to this show a month. And uh, I think what are the top things that you've learned or would like to pass down to any entrepreneurs or people that are wanting to create their own business, brand, um, especially in the hospitality space, like you said, it's such a competitive market, um, you know, in places like New York and other busy cities and things like that. Um, what, I guess, what's some advice, you know, we have people that listen from the brand new bellboy or waiter, front desk agent up to the you know owner and executive stage um, in the industry for a lot of things. So I guess what, for, for anything that Michael Chernow has learned in his, you know, past years of, you know, entrepreneurship and restaurateurship, um, what are the key, like, key thoughts that you would just pass down to anybody that's wanting to get into the space, especially as a, as a business owner and creator? Um, people are everything, absolutely everything. Uh, positivity is um, as important as people. And one thing to understand about the hospitality business is that the guest that walks through the door could care less, actually doesn't care at all. It never even crosses their mind ever if your restaurant or establishment is profitable or the P&L is making sense, like the P&L never, ever, ever, ever crosses the mind of the guest. The yeah. only thing that crosses the mind of the guest in a restaurant or a bar or a hotel or a whatever in the hospitality space is, is this place meeting my expectations plus? Yeah. Am I having a great time? Am I being treated well? Are there... Are the bathrooms dirty? Uh, is the food fantastic? Those are the thoughts that are going through the mind of the guest. And if you focus on the P&L, or if, if your focus is whether or not your place is profitable, you lose. Because the guest could give a fuck about your profitability. The guest doesn't care at all. The guest isn't going to walk out of your restaurant and say, wow, I'm sure those guys are making 10% on the bottom line. <laughs> or, wow. Yeah. Man, I can't, I can't imagine what that P&L looks like. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so there's a real misconception about that in our business. And yes, it is a very difficult business to make, make money in. And yes, the P&L is very important. However, if the, if the primary purpose of, or the primary focus of the business is, and the decisions, or, or if the decisions are made based on a piece of paper, yeah. you fail. You fail, you fail, period. That's 100%. it. See, and, and uh, this goes off of, okay, so I really like that you just said that because I have worked in operations of, you know, hotels for many years. And that's kind of where I got my origin, you know, started from the front desk all the way to, you know, operating a whole, uh, whole property. Um, and so I love that you just said that. It just pumps me up. Okay. Um, so I always talked about, um, for people in the hotel space, this is my kind of like my bread and butter, something I preach to the choir every day. Um, this is something I talk to my clients about. Like, this is just something like 
like I always, yeah, I love that you just said that. I'm so pumped. All right. Um, so with that, I think, you know, we get so caught up. This my number one thing is the guests. You know, like you said, they're thinking about the bathroom's dirty. Is this person treating me like I'm the only one in the room? Like I matter. I'm important. Um, not like just some other check-in or some other table to turn, all this other stuff. They care about that. Obviously, that, that comes down from the line employees. This comes down from the people in the trenches that are working, busting their ass every day to to provide this service, right? So as an owner, I've seen so many times and it just irks me because I know, yes, they're making money. Like I've seen properties that make millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars within a month. Um, but at the same time, the owner has no real interaction with like the team or the guest and not that they're supposed to it's not like i expect the owner who has a net worth of 10 million dollars to come out to the lobby and to shake hands and you know hold babies and be pretty much like the vip of the room but um in a way that you know they make so many decisions based off of a pnl like you said like oh this is this person or this position is costing me forty thousand dollars a year let's cross it off and uh, they don't even think it as a person they say oh i see 30 40 Thirty to forty thousand dollars worth of expenses that I don't need to have cross and let's get rid of it, or let's uh, downgrade in quality of this because it's saving me money, or blah 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 blah. You know X Y and Z. All these decisions I get made just by looking at a piece of paper. So I know we were trying to wrap up the show, but for you in your business and with your restaurants, um, I guess what have you seen from like what are the benefits that you've seen with making decisions based off of the guest experience, the team, the culture, like you've talked about, that's like your bread and butter too, is taking care of the team, taking care of, you know, making sure that people are feeling special, whether they're the guest or, or the employee. Um, I guess just, I'm, yeah, I'm so pumped about this conversation. I just get a little distracted, but I think what are, what are the benefits that you've seen with that? Like being that as a priority, because like you said, if you're looking at P&L or numbers, you, you've already lost. If you're making decisions based off of that, Obviously, like you said, it's important. We need to know our numbers. We need to know, you know, where we're losing money, where we're gaining money, where we're making profit, where we're not. Um, but just looking at the business as an investment, not as a actual hospitality, taking care of people. Yeah. So you know, it's uh, the, the, conver the, the this conversation is offense defense, right? Yeah. Like, you know, I always use the example. Um, I bring it, I, I always try to sort of bring, bring it to sports because sports is, is an easy one to understand. Uh -huh. if, if the coach of a team walked into the locker room and said to the team, guys, gals, I don't give a shit about scoring. The only thing I want is for you guys not to let them win. So don't let them. So as long as we don't, as long as they don't win, it's okay. It's okay. That philosophy is the philosophy of someone who is playing defense constantly, who is never really taking a risk, who is never really going to get to the top. That is the Cleveland Browns, right? Like that's the way I see it. Like there is no, there is no, like, let's, let's just say F it. And all we care about, is getting out there and scoring goals. Yeah. Let them shoot on us. Let them, let them, let, let's do our best to play defense. But the only way to win is if we get out there and score goals. 
And the way I bring it back to the restaurant is, you know, restaurants have sort of peaks and valleys throughout the year, right? Like right now, this is a tough time for restaurants globally, right? Right after the holidays, everybody spent a lot of money over the holidays, traveling, this and that. Everybody's like, I'm gonna, we're gonna buckle down and we're gonna save money. We're not gonna go out to eat. This is a tough time for the restaurant business. Um, January, February, early March. Now, you can be the type of restaurateur where you say, all right, well, it's January. You know, sales are going to dip. We've got to buckle down. We've got to bare bone the staff. Let's, let's put as, the minimum amount of people we can put on the staff to just get through this season so we don't, we don't lose money. That, is a, that, that, to me, is a recipe for absolute failure because of the of the percentage of the small percentage of people that typically go out to eat um that are coming out to eat in january february and early march yeah 100%. and if you don't give them the experience that they're looking for because they're coming out in the cold man you're in trouble and so i look at it and say you've got to play offense You've got to not just have order takers in your restaurant, waiters that are just running around with their head cut off because there's not enough people to cover the people that are walking in. So they're just running around saying, yes, okay, no problem. Sorry, sorry, yes, oh, sorry. Let me get the manager, sorry, sorry, because they're not able to do their job. Mm. And what happens is not only does it make it a terrible experience for the guests, which is secondary to me, the staff ends up hating their life yeah. because they don't feel supported they don't feel safe and they don't feel confident because they don't have enough people to help them out. They don't have a team around them. So I say, you know, that, that is a great example of running your business based on a PL. Uh Oh, slow season, cut the staff in half. And not only does that affect the number one priority for me, which is my team, not only does that affect them because they feel like they've got no support and then the toxicity amongst the staff because they feel like, you know, they could, they could lose their job at any moment because the management just let go of, you know, 30% of the staff. Um, and, and now they come into work and there's no host and there's, and there's one bartender and there's one server and one busser and, you know, they've got a full restaurant at noon and then it dies, you know, like it's just, it's a nightmare. And, and that's what happens when you, when you play that, like, let's cut the staff in half game. I would much rather lose some money in the wintertime and then absolutely annihilate it in the busy season and just totally take, take control because all the, all my, all my competition is cutting their staff in half and making it a shitty experience. And the shitty experience is it, there's no, it, it's not forgiving. It's not, you know, like those people know, aren't going to come back in the busy time. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. However, when, when, when it's slow and, you know, and, and people are treated like diamonds, like diamonds, like mm -hmm. that's the way I, I talk about it. It's not like treat them like gold. It's like treat them like diamonds. And I, when I say that, I'm talking about my staff first. I'm talking about the people that I work with, the team that makes this thing that, that, that churns the, churns the engine. Because without them, the guest doesn't exist. Yeah, 100%. Right? 
and the positivity that you put into the into the air and into the space and into the environment for your staff is the positivity that then is going to trickle into the guest and then it's just a, a beautiful beautiful cycle of 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 positivity and uh and and yeah you know there are going to be times where you got to you got to take the risk you got to roll the dice yeah you know what you got to roll the dice but i'd much rather go down i'd much rather go down with a fired up staff of people that we knew that we gave it our all than go down with or die a slow miserable death with people that just hate their job yeah because it it just sucks well i think it kind of goes into the the perspective of the people that make decisions based off their short-term results, which is cut the staff, we're going to lose money, or the long-term results, all right, keep the restaurant fully staffed or the hotel fully staffed, just like normal. Let the team know that they're taken care of, that they're going to be able to put Christmas presents under the tree, or that they're going to be able to ring in the new year with their family and not have to worry about how they're going to pay rent on the 1st of January, like all that other stuff, right? So I think it, it comes to the short-term decision, long-term decision. And then also when we're in such a competitive, like you said, competitive industry where labor costs are going up. So minimum wage rises, uh, pay raises, cost of living of cut, you know, cost of goods. And then of course, you know, if I a hundred percent believe you make decisions that your staff is the most important to keep them happy, obviously to a certain extent, if somebody's just trying to use and abuse you, then probably not the best you know, situation, but, um, with with keeping that then you lower your turnover you lower your costs on having to retrain you know all the training meals all the messed up uh, discounts that you have to give because this person doesn't know their job because they're brand new and they're only going to last a week because they feel you know taken advantage of or they don't there's no good culture it's going to be 100 percent more cost effective if you make the long-term decision of saying okay let's keep it going as usual you know and all the stuff that you just said versus I, I think you probably understand this how most people in the, in the world that, you know, this is like a very hundred percent Gary V macro versus micro moment where you're making micro decisions and not thinking about the macro picture. Yeah. And the, I mean, you can also just, just all, you know, like simplify it and say like, you know, if you cut the staff in half or you cut the, cut the staff in even more than in half, you know, you have less people selling on the floor. And if you're trying to, drive sales it's impossible to drive sales when you have nobody selling yeah and so you know the idea of of having a down month or a down quarter which is typically what happens in q1 for the restaurant industry you know it 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 it, it completely is a is a is a is a like you said very short-term decision um to cut your staff down because you're trying to drive sales like, what's the point of knowing that the, that the season's going to be slow and then making it even worse by cutting your staff? Doesn't make sense. Anyway, that, that's sort of my philosophy um, on making decisions based on a P&L or making decisions based on, like, the greater good long-term success and longevity of a business. 100%. Well, hey, sorry I went off on that little excitement rabbit, uh, rabbit trail there. But, Michael, I just want to say thank you for being on the show. Thank you for providing you know, a ton of value to all the listeners and to, to the guests that uh, to be on 2020. This is such an exciting episode for me. Um, for all the listeners out there, where can they find you? Uh, you know, social medias, where can they look up the meatball shop? Um, Seymour's, well, well, all this good stuff. Like where is it to be? And of course, I think you got you know, a podcast of your own coming down the works. 
Yeah, you can find me everywhere. Uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Sna uh, Snapchat, TikTok, uh, at Michael Chernow. Um, super easy. And then Meatball Shop is at Meatballers, M-E-A-T-B-A-L-L-E-R-S. Seymour's is at Seymour's, S-E-A-M-O-R-E-S. Um, well, well is a functional beverage company that I co-founded with a couple of guys, which is awesome. It's at Wellwell, W-E-L-L-W-E-L-L. -L -L -L. And then my podcast that I'm launching uh, next week is, is called The Borner Made Podcast. Um, and stay tuned for that. It's going to be exciting. I got Gary B on there as well. That's so dope. All right, cool. I'm so pumped. Well, hey, thank you again for being on the show. And we'll have to keep in touch. But for all the listeners out there, um, go check them out. I'll put a link in all the, um, in the description for all the stuff that we just said, um, you know, going over Seymour's and meatball shop and well, well, and all this good stuff. And then of course, stay tuned for Michael's podcast coming out. And thank you guys for tuning in to slick talk this week. Thank you so much for listening. We love your support and want to provide the best we can to all our listeners. So please find us online, social media, and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Um, I want to give you guys a little bit of a sneak peek into what is coming out on Slick Talk. So you're about to listen to a trailer, a quick intro of just what is happening is called the Vacation Rental Mastermind series. This is the trailer that's coming out um, shortly after the episode you just listened to. For anybody that listens to um, you know episodes weekly uh, or frequently, so stay tuned. And uh, I really hope you guys enjoy this awesome trailer. If you are either really good at hospitality or you really love hospitality, or both of these things. If you are really good at taking care of people and you love it. If you check off any of those boxes, you have a great shot of succeeding in vacation rentals because one of the things they don't tell you is that it is in the hospitality industry. You are tasked with the very serious responsibility of taking care of another human, and in a lot of cases, several, yeah. while they are on the most precious week of their lives. Welcome to Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast where we discuss all things hospitality, hotels, and business. You can find us online at slicktalkthepodcast.com and on every podcast listening platform. What's up all my slick talkers? You are about to listen to the Vacation Rental Mastermind series. I have sat down with some of the biggest experts in the vacation rental space all over the globe and we created a 10 episode series where we dive in from how to be a host, how to maximize your property, how to manage a property from big management companies as well as technology and fraud protection for your guests and for yourself as a host and an owner slash investor. So tune in every week for the next 10 weeks to enjoy the Vacation Rental Mastermind series on Slick Talk and check out every single guest that's going to be on the show on all social media platforms.
What's up, everybody? If you've gotten this far into the episode of Slick Talk, the hospitality podcast, then you are amazing. And thank you so much for tuning in. We want to send you two places really quickly. If you can, check out the show notes and click the hospitality.fm link. Check out all of our other shows on the podcast network. And don't forget, if you have someone that you want to hear on the podcast, then fill out the guest fill out form so that way we can get them on the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy another episode of Slick Talk, the Hospitality Podcast.